A lot of people are excited about the sales opportunity, but they fail to think, hey, what, what's these people's ability to pay me? How much business am I going to be doing with them? And economic cycles, things that are happening with the economy, interest rates are rising. How is their customer capitalized? How are they operating their business? Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, we've had a lot of episodes about getting paid. We had Get yeah. Paid with Jan Reeves. Yeah. We had uh, the credit app. I forget yeah. who that was. Uh, in Dallas. In yeah, Dallas. Where you can, yeah. Where you can ding somebody's credit. Yeah. As a customer not paying hey, you. Hey, we've got to revisit a, that sometime. That was a good one. And then we just did one for bonding. Right. Uh, which really for your customers. Paid, That's for making sure your customers yeah. get paid. Uh, but now we've got receivables insurance right and how did you hear about receivables insurance first you know I, I we were I was talking with our guests before uh, we started recording and I don't really remember how we met but 48 49 years I've been in business now and up until we met about five six seven eight years ago I had never thought you could insure your accounts receivable and uh, I was just shocked and and anyway that's the provenance, that's how we wind up here today. People need to know that that's a possibility. And 67% of statistics are made up. What was the statistic that you point out to um, all the time? That 67.5%. You heard from, that, that you credit to Scott. Yeah. But yeah. what is the statistic? Well, I've used it a lot, but Scott had told me and I, I affirmed it today. So if I'm wrong, it's his fault. But, <laughs> but 40% of business assets in the United States are accounts receivable. That's compared, that's assets. Of course, everybody knows what things you own. So that's your real estate, your inventory, your vehicles, your equipment, right. all those things, 40 per, and your accounts receivable, 40% are accounts receivable we wouldn't think of not having insured our vehicles, our equipment, our um, buildings, yeah. but I really don't know anybody, I'd never met anybody who insured their accounts receivable. So that's a big hunk of business that's yeah. hanging out there, meaning the viability of business, that's hanging out there uninsured. And that's why I think we're here today to talk about this. Well, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you. Um, and you're just down the road in Oklahoma City. Uh, how did you get into this business? So uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a long story, but uh, <laughs> I, so I was I was never an insurance guy until I, I started uh, working uh, with Euler Hermes at the time. That's what that's what we were formerly known as Euler Hermes for about 130 years. We just went through a rebranding in March, and we're now yeah. All you weren't with them the whole 130 years. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. What was it like? Yeah, yeah, yeah like two hundreds. You know, I, I don't, can you imagine underwriting credit risk uh, back in uh, the early right. 1900s? I don't oh know how they goodness. did it, but, uh, but they did. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so I had, uh, actually, I, I, my, before I moved back to Oklahoma in, in 2012, uh, I lived in uh, Chicago from 2002 to 2012, and I managed uh, a team for a big office equipment distributor up there. And one of my former uh, sales agents had left my company at that time to go work for Euler, and so he was an insurance guy. When I moved back to Oklahoma, I wasn't real sure of what I was wanting to get into and uh, reached out to him. I thought it seemed like a pretty interesting product and uh, asked him if they needed somebody in Oklahoma. And so he connected me with the guys in Dallas, which is where our closest regional office is. And uh, I reached out and they hired me and here I am 10 years later. So, wow. Yeah, I don't know if it's important, but it was interesting to me. Euler Hermes. Yeah. H-E-U-L-E-R. Uh, no. E-U-L-E-R, -E -E H-E-R-M-E-S, but yep. it's Swiss or uh, French. It's French and it's been around for, it's a bank or a company. Uh, Euler, Euler Hermes, it, yeah, it was a, it just a credit insurer. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And been around for 150 years yeah, or 130 yeah. years? 130 years, something like that. Yeah. I don't know the exact number now. I just yes. always thought that was cool. Yeah. They've been doing it a long time, so they must have something figured out. They do. They do. Yeah. yeah. So as I mentioned, 130 years, our global headquarters is based out of Paris, France. Um, and, and now, uh, Allianz, which is, uh, the largest financial services company globally, uh, 150 billion in revenue, uh, annually, we are now their trade credit arm. 
So, so we have the financial support of those guys, double A rated. Uh, we're very, very strong, very solid. So they bought your yeah. armies or just hit, yeah. they bought the company? Okay. Yeah, they did. Excellent. Yeah. So you're helping companies ensure their accounts receivables. Correct. Where does that process start? If I'm, yeah. you know, obviously our audience is a little bit smaller. I'm assuming that most companies that do have their accounts receivables are a little bit larger in size. Maybe that's a misconception. Uh, but for the smaller guys, um, let's say, south of 50 million in revenue sure. or 20 million in revenue even sure um what does it look like to get started on ensuring your accounts receivables yeah I th the process is the same you know really for uh you know a, a hundred million dollar company is what it would be for a three million dollar company so um you know within our client base we have companies as large as um ge or uh, yeah apple that use credit insurance types of products um, obviously, those aren't my policies, aren't my clients. <laughs> you wish, but, right? <laughs> yeah, I wish, right? But, uh, you know, down to, uh, you know, I might have a $3 million or $4 million company that, um, you know, a metals guy that's, uh, you know, in rural Oklahoma that sells, you know, metal uh, fencing, pipe, stuff like that to, yeah. to people on credit terms. So if you're a company that is extending credit, whether it's for, for goods you know, tangible items or for services you provide, uh, you could potentially be a client and have uh, a credit insurance. Policy. And Martin, let's stop there because sure. we talk about this all the time with your receivables as a way of financing your customer's business. Almost everyone's extending credit. Would, I mean, don't you agree? Well, nothing is 100%, but as close as you can get, people extend yeah. credit. Yeah, and oh yeah, you can pay me in 30 days. You can pay me in 60 days. I mean, how many businesses do we know that their receivables are just yeah. un, un, um, unexcusable, right? So at some point, everybody's sure. extending credit to some level, right? Well, there was one example. We have a mutual client that a few years ago, I remember, had a net profit of 350000 mm -hmm. and had $780,000 of accounts receivable standing out. <laughs> Outstanding. Right. They say, ooh, there's a little risk there, right? Just a little bit. Right. Okay, so anybody who extends credit, whether it's legitimate, like, no, you've got store credit with us at a supply house, or just receivables where they yeah. haven't paid their bill with you. Where they've already invoiced, yeah, where yep. they've already delivered a product and invoiced it. So, right. again, it's extending credit from B2B transactions, so no business to consumer. So if they're giving you credit as an individual, no. I can't cover that, no. but B2B transactions where they're extending credit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Terms of sale, we can cover up to... 360 days worth of credit. That's what we call short-term credit. Generally speaking, most people are invoicing saying you have 30 days to pay us or 60 days to pay us, right. 45 days to pay us. Um, th that's kind of standard terms of sale across various sectors sure. uh, and industries, but uh, we could cover something as long as 360 day terms if uh, there was a company that needed uh, needed that. Okay. And I'm I'm sitting here knowing what people are thinking. It's what I thought when I first heard about it. Wow, that's going to be expensive. I could never afford that. <laughs> sure. To which my uh, response always is, well, how much does it cost? Right. And I know that you can't detail everything, but can sure. you give us an idea? Yeah. Yeah. So um, pricing, it's um, just like with anything. If you buy a, a thousand widgets from me, your price per widget is going to be less than if you buy one widget from me, right? Okay. So, our policies are, are extremely customizable. It's not one size fits all. Um, and so, you know, as you ensure more revenue, the rate decreases, okay? So if you insure 10 million in revenue versus 50 million in revenue, your rate for 10 million in revenue is going to be a little higher than your rate for 50 million in revenue. So okay? just as an example and not holding me to the actual sure. numbers, but I'm doing 10 million, I might, might pay a tenth of percent of sales has a premium. Yeah. If I do fifty million, I might pay three quarters of a percent of sales as a premium. Yeah. Yeah. Pro yeah. Probably. I yeah. don't even know if those are in the ballpark. But those are a little bit aggressive. Um. <laughs> <laughs> aggressive, which way? Yeah. Too uh, low or too yeah, high? Yeah. Probably a little too low. Because uh, anyway, okay, I can okay. get Martin's pricing from um, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. So 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 based on that example, ten million in revenue at a tenth of a percent would be ten thousand okay. dollars, which we do have a minimum premium. So. You know, for uh, companies that might be in the space of your audience base, you know, I would say on average, you know, uh, a quarter of a percent would be a good ballpark. Of sales. Of sales. Okay. A quarter of a percent. 
Okay. Now we do have a minimum premium of 10 grand, so that's the floor. We have to write a policy for at least 10 grand. So if you're a $4 million company, a quarter of a percent is 10 grand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, because as, uh, it's it's uh, below the minimum, it'd be like twenty five hundred dollars straight up. But you're saying tens a minimum. Yeah, tens a minimum. Yeah. yeah so I mean, a million dollar company at, at twenty five basis points is twenty five hundred bucks. We right. can't we can't write a policy for right. something that low. So even if you're doing a million sales, yeah. and you want to get a policy, it's going to be ten grand. Ten grand. So, so that, that would be one percent. Yeah, I'm doing four million in sales. I'm going to pay you ten grand for my policy. Mm-hmm. What are some examples of what it's going to cover for me? So essentially, what we cover is we cover any non-payment event. So if you're somebody that's doing business with people just here in the US, there are two major perils. There's there's what we call slow pay. Slow pays are always slow pays until they become a no pay. And when they become a no pay is when you turn it over to us. Right. So yeah. you've extended credit to somebody, 30 day, we'll say 30 day terms is pretty standard. You know, day, day 60 goes by, you haven't been paid. Day 90 goes by, you haven't been paid. I don't know, day 120, they stop calling you back. Uh, day 150, you say, hey, we're tired of chasing these guys. We're going to go and follow them with our insurance carrier. Because they're still slow pays right now. Yeah. Well, at that point in time, when you file a claim with us in a slow pay, no pay environment, we have our own internal collections arm, and we attempt to collect the debt for 60 days. So we will put calls into our client's customer and make an introduction as to who we are and why we're calling, and we will attempt to collect the debt. If we're unable to collect it, after that 60-day window, we process a claim settlement, and all of our policies pay 90% of the balance. Okay. There's a built-in 10% coinsurance. Okay. So if it was a $100,000 claim, we weren't able to collect, we're going to cut them a check for 90 grand. Gotcha. Okay, if I'm feeling real secure because I have an insurance policy, mm-hmm. uh, I might be inclined to go sell to any, any anybody who walks in the door. Sure. It, that's not really your purpose. Uh, you have some requirements of people uh, how does it work yeah to to protect you guys sure that that you know you're not just saying okay i can sell to anybody now i know they're not going to pay me but i don't care cause, sure because allianz yeah. will well yeah so well can i also backtrack just to sure. the other peril real quick yeah let's do the other yeah, one that's sorry. what i was going to yeah. say yeah because martin's jumping the gun he always yeah, does that I yeah, do. okay <laughs> <laughs> so uh so that was a slow pay environment and again they can give the debt to us whenever they want so Technically speaking, if somebody is 30-day terms and they haven't paid in day 31, they could file a claim with us. They don't want to do that because we're going to call them and their customer likely isn't going to want to do business with them anymore. Right. So we tell our clients. Also, there's a chance that a customer would pay on day 35 or day 40 yeah. and you're missing out on 10% of the yeah. yeah, right. Well, yeah, right. And that yeah, that's true as well. So, you know, you want to give it to us when you're tired of dealing with these people and you say, hey, we're ready to move on from them as a customer and we're gonna go ahead and give it to our credit insurer, okay? Uh, the other scenario would just be insolvency. So you have a customer that you've extended credit to, they file chapter seven, 11, 13, 15, uh, just a general meeting of creditors, any type of an insolvency event, you would be able to file a claim with us, okay? Now, the difference between obviously a company that's still solvent and a company that's insolvent is a company that files bankruptcy, there's nothing to collect. All the assets and liabilities, everything tied up with the courts. So in a situation of an insolvent company, we don't, our collection people don't call and there's nobody to call. Uh, we handle the proof of claim and we handle how, filing all the documents with the courts. So as soon as our client's notified of the bankruptcy, they file a claim with us. Uh, we get all the documentation that we need. We handle all the, the, the legal proceedings, the filing, everything. Once the schedule left, is released, which is Schedule F, is what outlines how much money the unsecured creditors are owed. Uh, and the court verifies it through the proof of claim process. I'm not a bankruptcy attorney. Right. I'm an insurance guy. Um, but once the debt is verified with the courts and the Schedule F is released, that's when we pay. So the Schedule F says, hey, our client is owed $100,000. Um, we go ahead and cut them a check for 90% of that up front. And then we wait for the bankruptcy to shake out. Now, as most of us know, most bankruptcies result in very little recoveries or minimal recoveries for uninsured creditors. So if after that bankruptcy shakes out, if it was a liquidation and there's nothing left after all the banks and and secured creditors are paid, the unsecured creditors don't get anything, we have no recoveries. We still paid out the 90 grand. If there are recoveries, we share recoveries with our client that we paid the claim to. So sometimes a bankruptcy comes out and the unsecured creditors get made whole. 
So if we're made whole, our insured is made whole because again, we paid them Which 90%. means you give them the 10%. We give okay. them the 10% back, right? So if there's nothing that's that's recovered, they still walk away with 90 grand. Gotcha. Okay. 90%, not 90 grand, right? 90, 90%, 90%. In the example, yes. Yeah. In the example. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Martin's over here talking about a $10,000 job and getting 90 grand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, so now you're so going to pay, no pay, and then insolvency are yeah. kind of different categories, yeah. but those are the ways That's they correct. manifest themselves. That's correct. Um, what I was asking is you have, when you're selling a policy to somebody, sure. there are a few hoops I would presume you jump through. You're not just saying, okay, you're covered, go for it. That's and, correct. Yeah. And what kind of things do you you expect from the uh, from the insured. from the policyholder. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so when you think about credit risk, right? Everybody underwrites credit risk with information. Okay. Most companies, um, depending on the sophistication of the, the the company and their credit department, uh, you know, they use they might use credit applications to underwrite credit risk. They get a couple of bank reference, a bank reference, a couple of trade references. They call them up. These people say, "Hey, these people always pay me great." They call the bank. The bank says, yeah, they have an account here. That's all I can give you, which I still scratch my head. I had a bank account when I was 16. That doesn't mean I have the yeah, ability to, yeah. you know, put, because the bank doesn't tell how much money's in there or what kind of a line of credit they have unless they give them permission to. Uh, and then they, they give them credit. Uh, more sophisticated companies might pull a DMB report or an Experian report and maybe a really large credit shop that, you know, a very large company might actually request for financials from their customers before they extend credit. So we underwrite credit risk the same way. Mm-hmm. And we have a proprietary database of 85 million companies globally. Okay. Okay. It's massive. It's crazy. Uh, so when you think about all of the data points that go into our database, so for instance, we're DMB's largest customer. So anything you would ever get on a DMB report goes into our database. And let's back so up. Can Dun, you. That's a Dunn's number, right? Yep. Dunn, uh, Brad, Dunn, Brad Dunn and Bradstreet, for those who don't know. Uh, you can create an account online. They'll go through a verification process with you, get your EIN and yep. all your documents. Uh, and that's helpful for getting a policy um, with several different business to business services, including sure. probably this one. Yeah. So like, for instance, if somebody's subscribing to DNB, if they have us, they don't necessarily need to pay for that DNB subscription anymore. Right. So like with our, with our database, we're going to have everything that might be in DNB. We have other types of services where we tap into financial institutions that provide data to us, such as uh, a company's corporate credit card debt and their utilization levels. Mm. Uh, we have- So team- you become a resource. Well, I mean, I yeah. Mean, wow. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. when, you, when Res- you think- For me, am I setting up credit? You can teach me and you also have information. Or you can just use us as your credit shop. I mean, because really when you look at what we do- That's pretty good. That's I cheaper mean, than an employee, $10,000 minimum policy. Well, anyway. and we show up with our checkbook. You know, it's uh, wow. We process over twenty thousand credit limit requests on a daily basis, mm-hmm. so we are looking at a lot of credit. Yeah, uh, we have information teams that call and reach out for financials. I personally call and reach out for financials for many of my clients. Wow, who have very large requests um, for uh, customers they're wanting to give credit to. So once we get this information, it goes into our database. We have sector specific credit analysts that analyze these financials because a company that might be a metals company is going to have a different looking balance sheet than maybe a company that's um, in the food space, right? And they all have different Different ratios, different ratios. They have different cash flow needs. And uh, so we have sector specific analysts that analyze the financials and the data. And then we have a grading scale on our database, in our database, very much like you or I have a credit score our, we call them debtors in our database, have a grading scale. So they have a risk rate of either one all the way up to 10. 10 is somebody that's insolvent, one is somebody that's not. So our clients leverage us, leverage our information, uh, leverage our expertise um, to underwrite a lot of their credit risk for them. Wow. So an example, and I'm just going to play this down a little bit, but you know, I've got a potential new customer. Uh, we're going to be doing a big project for them. I'm really excited about it, but I also don't really have much background on on them. Sure. I would then reach out to you as my uh, insurance broker agent. Sure. And I would say, hey, really excited about this so- excited yeah. about this opportunity, but I just want to make sure that they're a good company to do business with. Sure. 
And then we could go look them up together and see, oh, wow, they're closer to that nine or 10. They're kind right. of insolvent. Yeah, uh, right. Maybe don't use them. Yeah. Versus, oh, no, yeah, that's a great company to work with. Absolutely. And then that would also give me coverage on the receivables. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So, yeah. So I actually, a lot of my clients utilize me before they before they ever even sign a contract mm. for a new customer or deliver products or a new job or whatever it may be. Um, a lot of times, some of my clients will engage me when they're still in the sales process and say, hey, can you look these guys up? Um, do you think, you know, we're thinking we might be able to sell them a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of product. Could you cover that? And I can very quickly go into my database and say, yeah, these guys would be covered. Or And if not, you can help with processes that we can we can figure it out. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, generally when we can't cover a, a buyer, I call them buyers or debtors. They're the people in our database that our insureds, you know, need coverage on. Uh, there's one or two reasons. Either it's negative information or it's lack of information. Right. Yeah, it's the lack of part yeah. that I was thinking of. Right. So lack of information is is something that, that we can generally overcome with things like a credit app or mm -hmm. depending on the size of the exposure. I mean, if it's a half million dollar exposure, we might want to see some financial information on the company, uh, things of that nature. But um, generally speaking, smaller type stuff, um, you know, a credit app with a couple of trade references that say, hey, these people uh, look pretty good and uh, they, they generally pay their bills on time. Um, a lot of times just that or pay history would, would, would give us the ability to, to write some coverage on something. So Scott, what does it look like uh, on the smaller jobs? You know, I do a $15,000 job for somebody as a sub. What does that look like? Is that still something that's going to go be covered? And yeah. Yeah. So depending on how we structure the policy, okay. I, and I don't want to make this too confusing. So there's people you send to us and we say, yeah, they look good. That's called named coverage. That's the best type of coverage because it's black and white. Yeah. Right. You said, Hey, here's who I'm selling to. And we say, Hey, these guys are good for 15 grand. You go out, sell to them, you provide services for them, you invoice them. Some point in time, they don't pay you, you file a claim, it's named coverage, we pay you the claim. The other type of uh, coverage that we could potentially grant is what's called discretionary credit, which means we enable you to underwrite your own credit risk, okay? Now, when you think about it from an insurance perspective, um, think about if you were if you were underwriting the risk of just your own drivers based on you know how they drive and we're going to pay a claim if they wreck the car. There's a lot of a lot of risk for us in that scenario sure. where you underwrite your own risk because we don't know who you're selling to, we know nothing about them. You're, we're giving you the ability to, to extend credit. So if we were to structure a policy that says, hey, you can make your own decisions up to twenty grand, um, we generally attach a deductible to the policy. So there's a little bit more skin in the game for you. Um, but you could still approve them up to 20 grand. And so in the event that that ever turned into a resulted in a claim, what to say you did a job, did a couple jobs for them a year and a half later, they quit paying you. You all of a sudden have to file a claim. Well, we don't know who they are because you never were granted name coverage. You self approved them. You would have to provide us with what's called a qualifier at the time of the claim that you filed the claim. Okay. And there's 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 four different qualifiers. There's one you had a credit application that you vetted. So at the time when you brought them on, you got the credit app. You called the bank and trade references. They look good. You sell to them. Year and a half later, they quit paying you. You say, hey, here's the credit app I I took on. You know that I took when I decided to give them credit, and they looked good then, and they just don't look good now. We go ahead and pay that claim. Um, the second qualifier would be pay history. Maybe you didn't get a credit app. Maybe it was a guy that you knew from a previous venture and he's, hey, these guys are good. We gave them credit. They paid us for a year and a half and then they quit paying us. You could provide your payment history with us and say, hey, these guys always paid until they didn't pay. Right. We would pay that claim. Okay. The third the third qualifier would be um, a credit report. So maybe you pulled a Dunn's report on them or an Experian report and say, hey, the credit report looked good, so I gave them credit. They quit paying me. Here's the credit report. And then the last qualifier would be you had their financials, which generally nobody uses that as a qualifier. So yeah. really one of the, the, the other three the would be a qualifier. Financials can't be handwritten in pencil, right? They probably need <laughs> yeah. to come off a printer. Yeah, 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 yeah. We do prefer that they come off of a printer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they don't have to be audited. Um, but uh, but okay. yeah, so, but if you did have their financials, obviously that would work as a qualifier as well. I gotcha. Mean, really? It's, it's amazing. 
Well, I, mean, I, I think, love this. I think what's important for business owners as they as they start to even think about this insurance is just taking a step back and thinking about the customers they choose. Sure. I mean, that's such a big part of business that, you know, so many people are excited about a sale. Right. That they're not actually thinking through, wait, what is the payment term going to be? Are they actually going to pay? Sure. Yeah, it's and going it's to the next level thing. of sophistication as a business yeah, owner. Exactly. That's, that's true. Um, and that, that's a really good point. A lot of people are excited about the sales opportunity, but they fail to think, is, hey, what, what's these people's ability to pay me? Um, and, um, and how much business am I going to be doing with them? And economic cycles, things that are happening with the economy, interest rates are rising, that customer's... You know, how is that cut? That how is their customer capitalized? How are they operating their business? Yeah, they're also relying on somebody's receivable. Everybody right. in the chain is relying on somebody's receivable, that, and it comes all the way back to me. That's right. If I don't pay, they all collapse. That's yeah. right. The domino effect. I think this is a great point for us to stop really fast uh, for a commercial break. But when we come back, I do want to talk about some clear examples and some funny stories, maybe of or good sure. stories. Of, of instances where this has really played a benefit to business owners. Sure. Okay. Cashflow contractors, I've got an exciting ad placement for a really dear person to me, and that is from Martin Holland. He's sponsoring this next episode. If you don't know, Martin doesn't just host this podcast, but he also runs a Neil Business Coaching. You can find a link to his website in the show notes, but Martin has been a fantastic business coach for hundreds of business owners around there. He really understands business at a high level and can help people like you to grow your business in a really efficient manner. Martin has been my business coach and he's helped me through countless trials with employees or clients or services that we're offering, understanding our finances. It, it's really something that you just don't really understand until you have that experience of working with a business coach. So if you're looking to grow your business, if you're looking to improve your life as a business owner, talk to Martin Holland at Anil Business Coaching. This is a website down in the show notes and would love it if you reached out to him. Uh, something you said, Khalil, thinking about your customer. Um, I'd like to look at the advantage of this. A, a, an obvious advantage is that you get paid for your accounts receivable. Sure. But that's not the end of it. There are two other things I'd like you to talk about. One is, you brought this up when we were talking before we started recording, is if you have the ability to get paid in a credit process, you might accept customers you otherwise would not have. Mm -hmm. Not just because you can push it off on Allianz, but because you've got processes and your business might increase because you're not worried about the credit risk. Sure. And then I want to make sure we talk about how banks look at mm -hmm. insured accounts receivable as opposed to you just walking in and say, hey, I got a bunch of receivables, lend me money on it. Right. So maybe you could talk about those two. You, I think you had some stories about people who increased their business because insurance gave them confidence. Sure. Yeah, so, you know, uh, when you write this type of coverage, the last thing you want to be selling on is paying claims, right? Um, in my 10 years, and I've done a lot of prospecting, it's very rare that I call somebody up and they say, man, I really need you because we're writing off a ton of bad debt, right? <laughs> and as an Sorry, insurer... Sorry, I can't, I can't hear you. I'm in a bad sales right. zone. Yeah, and as an insurer, that's not the type of person that, I, that we necessarily want to insure, right? Uh, it's like State Farm doesn't want to find the guy that wrecks his car five times right. a year. Um, and but, but a lot of people, they hear credit insurance, and that's naturally what they progress to is, oh, credit insurance, what is that? Well, oh, you insure accounts receivables? Well, we don't really write off a whole lot, so we don't need that, right? <laughs> so I deal with that objection all the time. A couple of things, people don't know how much this costs, so it's very difficult to make an educated decision as to whether there's any value in it if you were going to base it solely on losses because you don't know how much it costs, right? And you do know what your bad debt is. So it's a good idea to get an understanding of right. the pricing. But throw losses aside, aside and there's, there's really two or three other key drivers why people use something like this. Um, one would be, uh, which is probably the, the big driver for a lot of my clients, is it helps support sales growth initiatives, okay? Now, when people tell me they never lose money, um, <laughs> depending on what type of company, I generally find that people that very, very rarely take losses are probably very diligent in the credit underwriting process for their new customers, right? So if something doesn't look great, they just say, hey, we're not going to take them on as a customer. We're going to make them prepay with a credit card, which they're giving up 3% of right. their, their revenue, okay? Um, 
So I find that people either are losing money one or two places, either top line sales growth opportunities because they're too tight with credit or they're giving credit to everybody and then they are probably posting some losses. And so we're kind of the best of both worlds. Um, we give them the ability to, to do both. But back to the sales expansion point, you know, we'll just take a smaller company. We'll take a company that might be, uh, might carry, you know, three or $400,000 in AR with a, a group of customers and say he runs into a really sizable sales opportunity that might throw another million in AR on top of that. That's a big, big exposure for a small company. Small company may not be very comfortable with that big exposure knowing that if that $1 million guy doesn't pay him, he's probably closing his business, right? Mm -hmm. So having our protection with a large exposure like that can help a small guy take on business that he may not be comfortable with due to the size of the exposure, assuming that we can underwrite it, um, or even just for a year everyday type of a company that is tight on credit, if you're laying the risk of non-payment off on us at the cost of one quarter of 1%, well now I can get you more comfortable taking on clients that you weren't comfortable taking on because I'm right. giving you that guarantee of payment and you're giving me a quarter of a percent. So even in the thinnest margin industries, which we work with a lot of them, a lot of people that work in thin margin industries like lumber, metals, uh, oil, you know, fuel, uh, produce, uh, you know, the food space, um, these types of guys use credit insurance because it enables them to feel more comfortable extending more credit yeah. to people. You got really low margins and you suffer a loss that can, it wipes out a large amount of of Profit. sales that you've done yeah, it takes a lot to get it back absolutely yeah i don't think that's uh, obvious at all it may, we have a uh, and i want to get to uh, the banks yeah sure but, but we have a, had a maybe he's been on before this we mm -hmm. had bonding agent on sure i have no idea if this works but bonding agents pay your customer not you Right. But if you have receivables insurance, I don't know if that would affect your bondability or not. But anyway, that's clearly off the top. Yeah. In other words, a bonding insurance, bonding sure. agents more um, likely to recover a payment if you have insurance. Anyway, that's right. off the topic. Sure. The other question was, how do banks treat this? You sure. Know, you walk in with receivables and your banker goes, I don't know these guys. I'll give you half, yeah. 50% or 40%. Sure. Or, yeah. What, what effect does it have on banks? Yeah. Well, I can't speak for every lender out there. Uh, everybody has their own lending guidelines and their own credit committees and comfort level of, of what they're comfortable with. Generally speaking, you know, most, um, you know, most lines of credit that are being secured with um, assets, generally assets are going to be inventory and receivables. Um, you know, some of the banks here might be trying to stick a piece of real estate to it, you know, on it or uh, personal assets, uh, you know, vacation home of the business owner or whatever to secure the loan. But, you know, on, on a loan where they're just using inventory and receivables, they're generally giving you uh, availability on what you're carrying in inventory and what you're carrying in AR. Now, every bank has a different calculation. Yeah, you said availability? Availability on your line of credit. So we'll uh, say that. Yeah, so we'll say they've given you a line of credit and you're, they're using your inventory as collateral yeah. and they're using your receivables as collateral. Okay, uh, different types of inventory have different advance rates, but so you've got um, $500,000 of metal sitting in your shop. Uh, you know, a bank might say, well, that metal, we could probably move that pretty easily if you were to default on your loan. So maybe they give you 50% of the value of the metal on your borrowing base, mm -hmm. okay? With the receivables, generally speaking, they might be giving you 70% because although receivables is an asset, as of right now, it's just still a promise to pay and it's not actual cash. So they may say, well, you've got, you know, um, 500,000 in AR out there. And so we're going to advance 70% on that AR. So that gives you $350,000 of availability on your line okay. of credit. Okay. Now, if I can insure that AR, you can make the, the bank the, benef the beneficiary of the policy and now most lenders will bump your advance rate up on the AR from say 70% to 80% or 80% to 90%. Right. So some lenders will go up to 90% on insured AR versus uninsured AR. I'm just a little surprised that you used 70%. I didn't think that 
generally they'd loan that much against ARs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and a lot of it depends, depends on, on the bank. Yeah, it depends does. on the bank. Some of the, the larger banks, I mean, they're probably pretty standard at 80%. Um, you know, another thing that banks generally will kick out of the borrowing base are concentrations. So if you're pledging your receivables as collateral, and more than uh, one customer makes up more than 25% of the total AR, banks will call that a concentration. And so a lot of times, depending on who the concentration is, they will either discount that receivable significantly, or they might just kick it completely out of the borrowing base if they're not comfortable mm, with it. Good point. So Makes sometimes sense. I will have lenders that will reach out to me and say, hey, we've got this, you know, this borrowing base where uh, our client has, you know, one large customer. You know, I had a guy, a metal, actually, I, I use a lot of metals, uh, but, but I have people everywhere. I have yeah. people in all sectors, but metals just came to mind. But, you know, I had a, a guy that was a metals guy, had a, a large customer. He was carrying about $3 million in AR. Uh, of the three, $2 million of it was with one customer. So that posed a big concentration for the bank. And it was a privately held company, so the bank had no visibility right. into the credit worthiness of his largest customer. And so the bank was very restrictive on what they would lend on or advance on that $2 million receivable. Mm. They reached out to me and said, hey, this guy is looking for a bump in his borrowing base. Could you look to see if you could underwrite his largest customer? Well, his largest customer, we had financials on. And we got financials from them quite frequently because we had a bunch of other metals guys that were also selling to them. Mm -hmm. So they're incentivized to give us their financials when we have a handful of their suppliers that are giving them credit. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's what we call the single debtor policy. So we could just ensure that one customer, the big large concentration, the biggest customer, and uh, it satisfies the bank's requirements. It's better for the bank. They have a more secure loan, better for the borrower. He has higher advance rates. He has more working capital. Everybody's happy. Named insured. Named insured. Yeah. That would be named, yes. Very interesting. Man, so. That's a really good story and a really good example of how it can benefit. What are some other stories where, you know, a customer or a client of yours has found extreme benefit and use, like save their business even because they had you as an yeah. insurer? Yeah. Well, I do have another story. I'm not, no, I don't know if it necessarily saved their business, but it was a very large claim. Sure. Um, we had a policyholder um, that had been with us for, six or seven years, pretty sizable company. Um, they had almost kind of like what you call a single debtor policy where they had one broker that they sold a lot of product to that their broker was selling down into Mexico. Um, and when I think of brokers, I think of it as, uh, you know, a guy in his living room in fuzzy slippers <laughs> that really doesn't have a whole lot of assets to back up anything. He's kind of the in-between guy. Yeah. but they were selling a lot of product to this guy who was selling it down through Mexico. Um, and so they had a policy really to cover that, to cover him, but they had to, they added two other small customers on it to make it all work. Uh, and they paid us about 30 grand a year. And um, for five years or so, there were no issues. And then I'm trying to think when it was, uh, it was when the price of oil kind of plummeted. Um, 2015 or? Yeah, yeah, around 15, sometime, sometime yeah. around there. Um, all of a sudden, this broker who was selling down in New Mexico, one of his largest customers were people that built uh, tanker trailers mm. uh, that they were selling them to the Middle East. And so he had a bunch of inventory and stuff that he had shipped. These guys were building, building uh trailers for a group out of the Middle East who just decided, hey, we're, we don't need all that. Well, so the guys in Mexico didn't get paid. The guys in Mexico didn't pay the broker. And the broker didn't pay his supplier, which was obviously my client. And it was a million-dollar exposure. And so, um, you And know. you still have a job after writing that business? <laughs> <laughs> it was written before uh, before I came oh, on board. Okay, but, you know, you're but what, the... Yeah, what's interesting, what's interesting is, I mean, he only paid us thirty grand a year. Uh, we cut him a million dollar check, um, and uh, he's still a client. So we didn't cancel yeah. his insurance. We still, um, you know, he's still a client. He he actually insures a much larger portion of his portfolio now uh, because he he really under. There was a CFO change, and then you know the, the CFO now really understands how he can use us to drive new business, and uh, and so he insures a, a, a large portion of his portfolio now and just really uses us as his primary 
credit shop. I mean, he, we're, we're, we're the first person he goes to when he looks at a new credit, extending credit to somebody. Wow. So, so that's an example. We had, we actually, you remember a couple of years ago when the big ice freeze happened down yeah, in Texas yeah. and in Oklahoma, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Oklahoma in and Texas, ERCOT, yeah. like, some of our listeners in New York might not know about it, but right. So talk about saving somebody's business. So, uh, we had, we had some folks reach out to us and, and, uh, we do a lot of stuff in the commodity space. And so there were a couple of big natural gas. We've got a significant presence in the natural gas space. Uh, on the uh, the distribution side, um, and so we had when that when that ice freeze happened, I guess it was like the first part of February. Yeah, a lot of these natural gas guys who were selling natural gas at X amount per mmbtu, it went like you know times ten, times a hundred, times a thousand. Yeah, right. And so we actually approved over a hundred million of cover on a uh, a large utility down in Texas, um, we had their financials, they look great. Um, and uh, shortly after when those bills were generated, I, I can't re recall all the detail, but long and short of it, that large utility filed bankruptcy basically overnight. Wow. So yeah, because if some if your costs <laughs> yeah, go up a thousand percent, I mean, right. what are you going to do? Absolutely, right. So uh, that thing kind of happened overnight. Now, uh, I think we recovered a lot of that, but when you think about a company that all of a sudden was owed, we'll call it a few companies, owed $100 million and now their customer doesn't pay them and files bankruptcy, well, they've got, they've got to pay their suppliers right. where they, where they right. bought their product. Yeah, down. it trickles down. It trickles down. And so we were able to step in as the intermediary and make our policyholders whole while we waited for the money to come out of the bankruptcy and the bankruptcy to shake, to right. shake out. Ultimately, the consumer is going to get billed for that right. and probably would recover a bunch of it, but sure. you just got nailed in a huge cash flow problem. Sure, absolutely. So, so we bridged that cash flow gap yeah. for them, for our insureds. They could still go ahead and operate, and we waited for the money to come out of the bankruptcy. Right. Wow, and that's a lot of really? money. Like, yeah. That's not just, I mean, $100 million. Sure, and we recovered a lot of that. I don't know what we ended up paying at the end of the day, but, uh, but again, we kind of stepped in as the intermediary mm -hmm. without us. The guys that rode the money, where, where do they come up with that capital to pay their supplier? You know, either they have to draw down a line of credit if they had a line of credit large enough. Yeah, I don't to know. To accommodate that. If. Man. <laughs> it's a big I if. Mean, this, yeah. it, this starts out so simply as ensure my accounts receivable. Sure. And what I've already heard, you know, it increase potential for increasing your business. Sure. Because of confidence factor and issue. Uh, maybe getting more out of the banks uh, right. because they'll increase your available cash off your receivables. Sure. And the last thing we didn't talk about it specifically, but we've talked about it is use you guys to help us learn how to run a credit sure. process. I mean, actually use you for that. But as our, our, as our listeners grow from just being, you know, I've been doing this myself and sure. I run the cruise to becoming more and more sophisticated and paying sure. attention. There's learning right there. Sure. And, uh, very affordable in my mind. Uh, sure. What, Matt, well, let me ask you that. Why do people not do it? You know, I don't know. I asked myself that for 10 years. I, I would think yeah. ignorance is a big one. Yeah. I'm just yeah, not understanding. in front of some well, people and they go, nah, $10,000. Yeah. I think a lot of it just just might be they think they're either they, they think that they're not going to take a loss or they think that their credit process is more efficient than ours. I, you, know, I, you know, I don't know. I, I've never been able to figure that out because one of my one of my things, and, and Oklahoma is a great example because you've got a lot of like, I don't know, service companies that are doing work for the Chesapeakes of the world or Sandridge or people like that, right? And everybody thinks because it says Chesapeake, it's a very solvent company and, and <laughs> strong. Well, Chesapeake filed bankruptcy a couple of years ago, right? And so people just think that they're smarter than than, than we are, right? And and uh, they just think they're never going to take a hit. Or they're I, stronger I than the economy, which isn't true, right? And 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 my you know my point is is. Insurance is something that you need to buy when you don't need it, because when you need it, you can't buy right. it, right? So a lot of people think, well, Chesapeake's a publicly traded company. I can just open up their financials and see how they're performing. And and if they're performing well, we're probably writing coverage on them. Well, guess what? When the price of oil plummets and uh, companies like that start struggling, well, we see the same stuff that you see, right? Especially for a publicly traded company. Well, now, 
when you come to me after the price of oil has fallen and six months later the company's struggling, you say, well, right now is when I really need my Chesapeake exposure covered. Well, we're not going to be able to write that coverage because we're no longer covering them, right? That's, that's now a, a high-risk debtor. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't know why people don't buy it. I, I really don't. I've never been able to figure it out because I will tell you this. My retention rate um, generally hovers around the 90 to 95 percentile of people that buying policies with me keep them. Mm. Um, and whether that's for uh, peace of mind, I mean, as a business owner, everybody takes bad debt. I don't care. It, generally, everybody takes bad debt at some point in time. I've got another policyholder up here that hadn't taken a loss in five years. Uh, they just filed a claim for 150 grand. They pay us 30, 30 grand a month. I mean, 30 grand a year. Um, it's You don't take a loss until you take a loss, but inevitably, if, if you're a company that's looking to grow and you're having you to take unknown risk, it's likely going to happen at some point in time. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know why people don't don't buy this. That's really <laughs> I think, interesting. I think everybody should have it. So, well, I so so agree. I think uh, uh, it's like the bonding. Uh, like our listeners, and we we're talking about last. Maybe it was last week. Anyway, it was before this. The bonding agent that we have on. One of the points is maybe you don't qualify for bonding yet. Uh, but you can start learning what's necessary. Sure. And so instead of doing what so many people do and say, oh, I can't afford that. Yeah. Say, well, how much did it cost? Right. Well, I don't know, but I can't afford it. Right. Well, <laughs> learn the bonding process. Yeah. Uh, make contact with you. Sure. Learn what this is. Yeah. All of those ancillary, those secondary and tertiary benefits, uh, or the second, third, and fourth benefits sure. we talked about, yeah. go well beyond just the fact that I'll get paid if somebody doesn't pay me. Sure. And so learn about it because you never know when something's going to come up where, eh, you know, it's like your example, I'm going from selling $300,000 jobs to $2 million jobs. Right. Ooh. Sure. If this goes wrong, I'm gone. Right. Yeah. So, well, and also as well, how do you, how do you fund that job? Right. Yeah. You're probably going to need some sort of a bank involved. Well, that, yeah. And now you go well, to the bank and you say, Hey, well, you know, my credit insurer, or this group says that they could cover this $2 million exposure. That's uh, going to help this, bank feel comfortable yeah. with lending on that. Yeah. yeah. Or find a, good, a better bank yeah. that understands it. Anyway, sure. I got fantastic. A, I got a couple of questions to refine this, but let's take a quick break. We'll come back to it. And when we come back, I do also want to, I think you've got a, probably a unique perspective of where our economy is headed. So uh, when I hear your, your uh, insights into that and what you're seeing in some of your clients. So yeah, take a quick break. Hey, Cashflow Contractors, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for this episode, and that is CallRail. I want to tell you a quick story about CallRail. There's a client of ours that we've been working with for several years now that really didn't know what they were doing with their marketing. And we implemented CallRail, and immediately we were able to eliminate half of their advertising budget and start putting all of their money into the one source that was really helping drive their business. And that was Google Ads and Google My Business. The way that we did that with CallRail is by using CallRail, we're using different numbers that then forward to their business line. From there, we're able to actually track the calls that are coming into their business, where they're coming from, and even record the phone calls so that we can understand what people are calling about and if that's actually what we want them to call about. So long story short, CallRail is a fantastic tool for tracking where your marketing dollars are going and if they're working for your business especially for contractors when a lot of the calls to action that you're offering your customers through your marketing is to give you a call. So check out CallRail. There's a link in the show notes down below and you'll be able to click there for a free demo uh, as well as a, a free use of CallRail for 14 days. I hope that you enjoy it and thanks again to CallRail for sponsoring this episode. So Scott, how quickly, whenever I do file a claim, how quickly am I going to get paid like from Allianz? Yeah, that's a good question. So in, the, uh, in a non-payment event where they're still solvent, we will attempt to collect it for 60 days. If we don't collect, we process a claim settlement, which takes about seven to 10 days after that. So uh, that, depending on when you file the claim, is entirely up to you. But after you file the claim, it's at least gonna be a 60-day 60 60 window. Unless I can expedite stuff like that. I mean, there's times <laughs> where um, when we attempt to collect, we call the debtor and the debtor says, look, I have zero money. I'm closing shop. Yeah, I'm not going to pay. Uh, and if I'm notified of that, I can have my claims department expedite expedite that claim settlement. And so, then I'm assuming it's faster also on a solvency. 
Yeah, insolvency just it's it's all depends on when the schedule F is released. Okay. So depending on the complexity of the insolvency, the size of the insolvency, um, that that can vary from time to time. Gotcha. But, um, and we and, and, and the reason we do that is because in an insolvency scenario, the courts the the unsecured creditor and the debtor have to agree on the amount that's owed. Right. And so once they agree on the amount that's owed, that's when it's scheduled with the courts and the court the court schedules all that stuff. Gotcha. So, so we were talking about how this seems like a no brainer. Sure. Like for a for a bank to go and get some more money. Let's let's dive back into that. So what you go and you talk to banks all the time, right? And they do. you're you're trying to get them to get their customers to use sure. you. Sure. What's their reaction to that? What is that? What? How does that play out? I think a lot of lenders. I mean, some lenders get it. Some lenders don't. Um, the reality is, a lender should look at this as a credit enhancement. All it does is strengthens the paper that they're lending against. Now, I'm not a banker, okay. But if I'm lending on inventory and receivables, as a bank, I probably want the inventory insured, especially if I'm advancing money on it, right? In case the building burns up and uh, right. all the widgets that were in the building all of a sudden are longer there. You want to have the ability to collect from an insurance carrier. Well, on the receivables, um, you know, th there is no there is no insurance, right? And yeah. so the collectability just depends on the borrower's ability to collect and the debtor's ability to pay. And so by us insuring that, I mean, we're a double A rated company. Um, and so we essentially turn that receivables paper into double A rated paper, right. the strongest paper you can lend against. And, um, and there's no cost to the bank. So it's a credit enhancement. So, um, like I said, some lenders get it. Some lenders introduce it to their clients and say, I think you should really look at this. Um, but you know, in my opinion, even if, even if the, the borrower didn't need it from an availability standpoint, I feel like it's probably a good idea to make the introduction because we help companies grow. Yeah. We help we help companies grow, we help them become more efficient, we help them safely grow, uh, which are all good things for the lender. It's lending them money, more deposit accounts, you know, all of those other ancillary services that they sell um, outside or that they provide outside of just, you know, uh, you know, a, a line of credit. Yeah. So, um, and people trust their bankers, you know, that's, uh, you know, the cost of money sometimes can be commoditized. Well, if my lender is introducing to me to solutions like this to help my company right. grow, well, maybe I'm not going to be as likely to move my bank line whenever somebody gives me a little bit more aggressive of a rate. Yeah. Because that guy's really helped my business out. And, and you had a really good example with an energy company um, here around here that sure. they, they, they you went to their bank eight months before. Yeah. I'll let you tell this story. Yeah, so I did a presentation for a lender uh, locally here, group of bankers, and talked to them about the benefits of this type of coverage for their, their borrowers um, on how we help the borrowers out outside of the banking piece. And oh, by the way, how most lenders look at this type of policy um, and how it enables them to be more aggressive with how they lend to their borrower. And, uh, you know, and they, they conceptually understand it. And uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes bankers get it, sometimes they don't. And eight months later, a client comes to me and they're looking at a policy for pure risk mitigation purposes and sales expansion purposes. Um, and we end up writing them a, a, a sizable policy. And I'm like, well, who do you guys bank with? And they told me and I was like, I just did a presentation with those guys uh, eight months ago. And, um, and they said, yeah, well, we're going to take this policy to them. and you know, in hopes that they increase our size of our borrowing base and uh, increase the increase our advance rates and 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 so forth. And at that time, that lender was very restrictive with their largest customer. And we're talking in the I don't want to be specific, but we're talking in the millions of dollars. Yeah. The lender was cutting out of the tens of millions. Yeah, right? tens yeah. of millions yeah. of dollars that the lender could have been lending on. Um, but they were very restricted because the size of the exposure. Well, we were able to cover the size of that exposure. And so their hopes were that they're going to go back to the lender and say, hey, we need you to bump up your advance rates on these guys because this is now insured and it's now there's a negative. And it benefits them both. I mean, the company well, has a cash flow and the bank gets to make money on lending money to a top 
Yeah, isn't against double A paper? Right. Isn't? Last time I checked, I thought that's how lenders make money is by lend, uh, yeah. by by lending money. That's why they're called lenders. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so it seems like a no brainer, but for some reason, you know, sometimes it just takes some time to. You know, I learned probably about twenty years ago, and I can cite the example. But I used to say no brainer, and I never say that anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because there is no such thing. Yeah. But. Mm -hmm. uh, I just say that in passing. They're really good deals, but I don't say no brainer. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, you know, you have a pretty unique perspective because you get to see some of these claims that come through. You sure. get to see the companies that can't pay. You get to see the companies that do sure. go bankrupt. Yeah. I think a lot of our listeners are thinking that, you know, now that the PPP money's run out, that sure. people have gone through their idle loans. Yeah. That. The, the real effects of the pandemic are going to catch up to businesses financially. That's correct. Do That's we, a very good point. How are you seeing things shake out? Yeah. You know, a lot of customers are probably worried about recession, people sure. not being able to pay. What, what are you seeing? Well, that's actually a really good point because when you talk about the PPP money's run out, um, a lot, you know, at, obviously everybody is very well aware of the inflation. So the cost <laughs> of goods and, uh, and services has increased. Um, the Fed is continuing to increase the, the quarter point today yeah, the or rate. yesterday. So companies that are leveraged and are, that are using lines of credit to, to, to support their company, their cost is service. That debt is going to increase. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty with where the economy is going to go in the next 12 months. Um, that said, uh, for us, claims are up this year. Uh, insolvencies are up, I think, 34% this year. Um, of your portfolio, you mean? Just uh, overall. Oh, in the United oh, States? Yeah, in the United okay. States, yeah. Um, are up 34%. You know, we also have uh, all of our clients, which we have tens of thousands of policyholders globally, uh, they report um, some past due statuses and, and things of that nature when their customers reach a certain delinquency point. We ask them to provide us some feedback. Uh, you know, past dues are uh, uh, people's DSO which is day sales outstanding mm -hmm. is starting to increase. Um, so we're starting to see a lot of negative indicators uh, that, you know, you know, could mean that, 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 you know, there might be some, uh, you know, some unstable uh, times ahead of us that yeah. could result in a lot of non-payment events. And so, you know, what I always tell my clients, uh, this is just like with any other type of insurance. You know, you buy it when you don't need it because when you need it, you can't buy it. Right. So when you think about the economy is in a really good space, and people are generally getting paid, well, our rates are going to be are going to be lower, right? Our appetite for writing coverage on a debtor is going to be greater because the economy is in a good place. But as things start to get challenging, we use retail for example. Okay. Uh, companies like Bed Bath and Beyond, uh, <laughs> people like that. Tuesday morning, you know, so Bed Bath and Beyond's been having issues for some time now. Um, had a policyholder that found a policy with me a couple of years ago, specifically for their exposure to Bed Bath and Beyond. We were able to write the coverage. Bed Bath and Beyond kind of turned things around a couple of years ago, and things were starting to look better. Well, they decided, well, we don't need the coverage anymore. Oh, I killed the policy. Man. Well, guess what? Yeah. Here we are back to square one again. It was a $10,000 policy. Yeah. You know, Bed Bath & Beyond could owe them, you know, a quarter of a million dollars at any given point in time. Yeah. Well, I can't write coverage on Bed Bath & Beyond now. So you buy it when you don't need it because when you need it, it's not there. Yeah. You know, in a lot of instances. And generally people in this space don't realize they need it until their customer is already in the 60-day <laughs> past due or 90-day past due bucket. Well, I can't insure that now. That's, that's a wrecked car. Yeah. I need that car to get <laughs> fixed and those people to be paid up before we could even consider covering them. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what's so much fun about this and the bonding and the other issues that we talk about in the mentor advisor mentor series is if you want to go to a, a more sophisticated level of being in business, sure. you need to know about these things and give them consideration. Don't self deselect, find out about them. Sure. And, I mean, all that I've learned extra today beyond just getting sure. paid is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Let me throw another just thing out there as well. Sometimes people kind of reverse engineer our policies. Okay. So we'll say that uh, we've got a client that needs, I don't know, metal to make his widgets mm -hmm. and a lot of it. Well, the metal supplier wants him to prepay. Well, he's like, well, I don't really want to prepay because I don't have the cash for it. And if I put it on my credit card, it costs me. Right. Two and a half, three percent more. 
Um, so assuming that, that that debtor or that buyer customer is insurable, they could approach their supplier and say, look, I'm willing to pay for an insurance policy that would be in your name that covers the exposure that you're going to extend to me, the credit mm. you're going to extend to me. So it's a promise of payment from an investment-grade insurance carrier. Now, that's assuming that we could underwrite who the customer right, is. Right, right, So would you be willing to give me 30 or 60-day credit terms if I paid for an insurance policy? And is that policy still going to be the same amount for that? Or no, it's not. Well, uh, minimum, like, yeah. Right. Well, it'd be, it'd be probably 10, 10 grand. 10 it just grand. Depends, depends on the exposure Size and how much. You know, are these guys buying half a million dollars or a million dollars worth of product? But... Um, I mean, it could, I've got somebody right now that, um, now again, <laughs> these are, these are, these are big, big scenarios, but it can be used on a very granular level. Sure. A guy that might need half a million dollars in credit. Um, you know, I've got a guy right now that, um, has a hundred million dollar letter of credit posted where they're buying natural gas from a producer. Right. Well, the exposure could get up to 150 million. Mm. at any given point in time. So the producer said, hey, we still aren't real comfortable because we've got 50 million that's kind of out there that we may not get paid on if something were to go bad. You know, would you guys consider paying for a credit insurance policy to mitigate this other 50 million in exposure? Because, because the cost of a letter of credit, one thing, a letter of credit ties up this company's working capital, they have to have that collateral in the bank. Right. And it costs, you know, 1%, right, 1.5%. So a credit insurance policy is better than a letter of credit because there's no capital requirements. Mm. They don't have to tie up any collateral. And a lot of times it's a lot of times it's cost neutral in this situation. Right. right. right? And so these guys are going to have their customer buy a policy to mitigate a portion of either that 100 million of exposure if they layer our coverage on top of the LC to, to cover the other 50 million, or they might let the debtor or the counterparty release 35 million of their LC and replace it with my credit yeah. insurance policy at 35 Just million. in passing a little bit of Arcania here, but a letter of credit, they might get their cash a little faster. Correct. Uh, than your policy. So That's that correct. Would, work against your policy, but that's correct. But still, uh, but the cost, yeah, but, but the disaster won't happen. I mean, right. That's correct. Yeah. The LC is the LC is a hundred percent guaranteed in this, in this scenario, we're guaranteeing we 95%. And yeah. And it, and it's callable and it pays, it plays, pays quicker than our policy does. Uh, but again, there's a cost associated with right. that. And also it ties up in this specific scenario, a hundred million dollars of their capital right. mm, that man. they can't use. Really interesting. So I think for a lot of, we've, we've covered so much on the B2B side and that's what you do. And I, I just want to hear maybe your perspective on the B2C side. Maybe you know other options out there that are available to people where they are doing you know, a job for a homeowner or something like that who may not pay. What, what options yeah. are out there? Do you know of any? You know, I, I really don't outside of, um, you know, outside of making somebody post you know, an LC or some sort of a deposit or something yeah. of that nature. On the B2C side, I mean, I don't know of any any risk mitigation products out there that would... The only thing I can think of yeah. is like liens, uh, putting yeah. a lien on a home and lean stuff rights, like that. Well, and then who, who does that? Uh, there's so many. I can even throw out the names of these leasing companies, finance companies that sure. buy the paper, meaning they buy your receivable and the oh, customer yeah. finances through them and they've got products. Sure. Yeah, you know, maybe, you know, maybe a factoring shop or something that does... Uh, but, you know, most factoring shops are, you know, are, are B2B versus you B2C. You say what a factoring shop is. Yeah, so a factor is somebody that uh, is an alternative lending source um, to, like, what a bank would be. Um, a lot of times factors will bank people that aren't bankable through a conventional lending institution, like your local regional bank or a bank <clears> of Oklahoma. <throat> um, a factoring shop may... Uh, and essentially what they do is they're buying your paper. They're saying, hey, they're buying your accounts receivable. Yeah, they're buying they're buying your AR. They're advancing you a certain percentage on it, very much like a traditional line of credit would be. Um, the difference is 
uh, a lot of times is depending on if it's a recourse or non-recourse environment in a factoring space, a recourse environment would be, hey, they're buying your $100,000 invoice, they're advancing you 95% of that, maybe you're paying them 5% to, for this funding, and that's monthly. Um, they got, you know, you got your 95 grand, now they attempt to collect, and in the event, if they don't collect after like say a 60 or 90 day window, depending on who it is or whatever, what the terms are, they would charge the 95 grand back to the client and the client would have to pay them the 95 grand. Oof. So that's, that's a recourse environment. Yeah. You see a lot of that from uh, QuickBooks and Stripe now because they're payment processing. And so they know exactly what your invoices are. Right. And yeah. then they'll, they'll basically say, hey, you want to get your receivables from us? Be, yeah. Yeah. Non-recourse factoring means, of course, they bought it for $95. They're going to hoping to collect $100. Yep. And if they don't, then They're that's out. their loss. That's correct. Uh, and it's not, I mean, I used to have a kind of a down opinion of it, uh, but it's not really not much difference in a credit card. They're charging you 3%. Sure. And, uh, of course, the cost then to the customer is much more than that. Cause, but Sure. Anyway, really interesting. When, when you're in a factoring, that's... Uh, no comment. Maybe maybe it's okay. I just a lot of people use it. A lot of people of, that aren't bankable use it. Um, well, I guess that's yeah. it. If you're not bankable, yeah, you know, I I, I always anyway. Yeah, that's another topic. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, and and uh, most of the the very most of the large factors throughout the country use throughout the world use credit insurance hmm. uh, because we enable them to buy more paper. So just like, especially in a non-recourse environment where they're they're assuming the credit risk of- They just pass it on. Of the customer's just, customer, yeah. right? They're assuming that credit risk. Well, if they don't feel comfortable with that customer, but we do, well, then they can still go ahead and buy that paper. You and realize the, that we've started out as contractors and we are in the world of high finance. <laughs> We're buying paper and backing it up and laying it off. And, yeah, that's finance. No, yeah, that's high yeah. finance. No, this Man. is awesome. Well, I think some of the biggest things for our listeners, obviously, if you're if you're large enough, or you know, I mean, if it makes sense for your business, I guess I should say, sure, this is a great option for you. And it's definitely if you're not doing it already, it's going to level you up. It's going to make sure that you're getting paid a little bit faster, not just from the insurance perspective, but just from the processes that you're going to have to implement sure. of getting people approved and all that stuff. Yeah, it's totally worth it. If you aren't to that point yet, you know, you're a $500,000 a year contractor that's getting started, you got to be taking this stuff seriously of who am I taking on as clients? Sure. Can they actually pay and start thinking about that next level of business? Right. Um, so really good stuff there. If anybody needs this insurance, Scott, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, um, I can provide my email address. You want me to just to rattle it out right sure, now? Sure, sure. We'll, yeah. we'll put it in the show notes. Okay, so yeah, it's, it's scott.stone at allianz-trade.com. Okay. Allianz is spelled A-L-L-I-A-N-Z-trade, T-R-A-D-E.com. We'll get that in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Or you could always call me on my cell. Uh, I'm an Oklahoma guy, uh, but I have a Chicago cell number for my my previous years in Chicago, uh, 847-736-6447. Again, eight four seven seven three six six four four seven. Yeah, okay. people, just learn, 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 learn. I know you're busy. I'm talking to our audience. Sure. I know you're busy, but learn, learn, learn. That's what'll separate you as you go along, and maybe keep you from getting wiped out. Sure. And if you can't afford Scott Martin, you've been doing stuff at a tenth of a, a tenth oh, yeah. of a percent. Whenever, <laughs> yeah. so we can get our insurance through you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you I'll cover do it for 100%. a lot less, but the likelihood of your of a payout. <laughs> Scott, thanks for being on. Sure. Pleasure having you. Yep. And uh, yeah, everybody reach out to Scott for some receivables insurance, credit insurance. There you go. So, yeah. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.